Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And of course, on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. Jason, I noticed at the end of this that almost every single question, or I think possibly every single question this week, is from a female listener of the show. And I have to say, when I get questions from guys, they're often pretty heavy, but they're not that verbose. But whenever I get heavy-duty questions from women, they're always so detailed and it makes it easier to answer, although it makes it harder to run on the show because you got to edit out all kinds of stuff. But it's just an interesting, it was a really interesting exercise for me to see a two-paragraph question from a dude and then like a three-pager from a lady and just over and over and over seeing that pattern the other day. Yeah, we got War and Peace several times over. We did. Week. Yeah, it's interesting. But let, well, let's jump into it. These are some interesting questions as well. Hi, Jordan. Just over a year ago, I was woken up at 3 a.m. with my sister's voice on the other line. Mom's dying. She's in a coma. It doesn't really hit you when you hear those words, though. It seems surreal, like it's impossible that something could happen to your mother. She was a personal trainer, extremely passionate about health and nutrition. It was the last thing I ever expected. My sister told me that at first they thought it was food poisoning, but when the symptoms didn't subside, my father and older sister brought her to the doctor. The doctor quite simply had no idea and sent her home. A couple of days passed, and there was still no improvement. My father, very concerned, returned, and the doctors finally decided it was time to run some tests. They found a blood clot in her lower left heart chamber. Luckily, it didn't go up to her brain, but it had split, and part of it went into her intestines. The blood clot damaged her intestines, and they had to remove all but 18 inches of the 20 feet that we all have. The doctors told us she wasn't going to survive. They told us even if she did, she would spend the rest of her life on liquid food through a tube. Well, she proved them all wrong. My mother, she's a miracle. My dad and I spent nearly three months in and out of hospital at her bedside. The doctors, till this day, still have no idea why she became ill, and even less why she even survived. I love my parents dearly. They mean the world to me. And I feel that we really had this enormous wake-up call, that you have to value every moment with your family, your loved ones, because you never know what might happen. I'm very close to my sister and my mother, but with my father, sometimes I feel a little awkward. Sounds crazy, I know. After all, we spent 18 years together. He used to be in the Air Force, but he's retired now. He's brilliant and has a great sense of humor, but sometimes I feel stuck around him. I don't know what to say, so I ask about everything I can think of. We spent hours driving to and from the hospital, and I would ask about his past, growing up, his parents, anything. But I still don't feel we've been able to break this barrier. One of the reasons I just love your podcast so much is that it often makes me become more aware of various ways to which I can improve my life. One of the things which I feel needs work is that I would love to have a stronger, closer relationship with my father. 
After nearly losing my mother, I feel that this is a part of my life that I really need to improve on. And I think if I don't change this now, if I don't find a way to fix this, I might regret it one day. So my question to you is this. What advice can you offer to someone who wants to build a stronger and closer relationship with their father? He lives in British Columbia, and I live in New York. I hope that you have a great day. Best wishes, Life's Apprentice. So, Life's Apprentice, I am very happy for you, and I'm happy for your family. What a story. Wow. I mean, she wasn't even supposed to survive. That's a, That must have just been such a huge relief. Look, I understand the situation that you're in. I think your father probably feels the same thing. Guys, and I can speak from personal experience here, guys are sometimes very clueless, especially when it comes to emotions and emotional communication, especially if he's a retired Air Force guy, he's been around a lot of guys, and he's probably not as much uh, into the whole emotional communication thing throughout his career. It's possible that his dad was strict, you know, maybe he's never built those skills with his father, your grandfather. He probably wants the same thing, the same type of relationship with you. So I would suggest the following. Organize a visit to come see him or fly him to you. Do fun stuff that doesn't always require talking. So if it gets awkward, you can just talk about the museum or the fishing or the whatever that you're doing at the time. It's not like, all right, we're seated at a meal and, you know, making small talk about other people in your family so you don't have to talk about yourselves or your own feelings. And also be honest. Tell him that you sometimes feel weird around him because you're not sure what to say and you try for conversation, but you feel like you run out of stuff to say and it gets weird. I I think this will go really far because I think if you also tell him that the reason you want to be closer is because you love him and since you almost lost your mom, it makes you want to get closer to him before it's too late. I think that super honest attitude would be very heartwarming for him and he might even say, oh, I thought it was just me. You know, I, I don't know what to say either because... You know, I just, you're different than you were when you were a little girl and you have all these complex things going on. I guarantee you that he'll be so relieved. Also, I guarantee you he'll be up for this. He'll be totally up for this, this type of conversation, this type of interaction. I also guarantee you he'll probably cry. So give the old guy a break and tell him that you want to be closer to him before he passes away and you want to have him come out and visit you. Tell him that on the phone. I know that in person is always better for a lot of this stuff. Give him a little heads up. Do this initially on the phone before you plan the trip so he has time to process it on his own and that he doesn't feel ashamed or more awkward crying in front of his baby girl. Because if he flies out to you and he thinks, why am I out here? This is so weird. And then you say, I want to be closer to you because mom almost died and da da da. You can have that conversation in person again later and you should. But I think he needs a little bit of a of a flag so that he doesn't get emotional with you for the first time in front of you at your house. He can't go anywhere, right? I mean, give the guy a break. And then plan the trip for a few weeks or a month or so out and do something that he thinks sounds fun. Just make it real easy. He might just want to visit you and see what your life is like. You know, you don't have to hike the Appalachian Trail or anything. But keep me posted. This sounds like a really cool opportunity to get closer to your dad. And I think this will be amazing. I think it'll be really rewarding. And I wish you the best of luck. All right, next up. Man, this one's a doozy, AJ. Eh, yes, it is. Here we go. Hey, Jordan, Jason, and team. I turned 18 in October. I'm a senior in high school, hoping to get accepted into college soon. I live with my mom, Nana, little sister, little half-brother, and stepdad. My family is really poor. Enough to eat and survive, but not much else. I'm counting down the days until I can leave for college so I can totally be in control of my own life and have a chance to escape the financial inability my mom seems to have. 
My mom is loving and caring, and I love her to death, but she simply doesn't do as much learning or improving as I do. That's something that can be handled, though. I can secure my future through hard work, even if she wasn't able to for herself. The problem is my stepdad. He's been with my mom for about eight years now. When I first met him at 11, he was loving and kind to me, similar to my mom. Then, about two years ago, he had a kid with my mom, my little stepbrother. I love him to death, too. But in the past year or so, he's been extremely rude to me and somewhat to my little sister and mom, calling me names and frequently says to my little brother, knowing I'm in the room, you're my one and only son. Having lacked positive male roles for quite a while, I found one or two in my friends and teachers, thankfully. And with my dad being a whole other beast, not mean, just ignorant, my stepdad was my only role model. The way he's treated me has honestly made me feel sad, isolated, and depressed at times. It may be stress of working and trying to buy a new house causing him to act like this, but just today he was being rude to me, and so I replied, thankfully I'll be in college when you buy a house, and he replied along the lines of, that's what he was thankful for too. What I really need to ask is this, what should I do? Should I try to keep ignoring him like I have, acting like I don't care? Do I wait it out till college? What if I don't get accepted and I'm stuck in this house? I know it's a lot, but your guys' perspective and advice would really help. Thanks. P.S. Jason, give me a good name. Okay. Stepson, not whipping boy. This made this made me a little bit sad. I guess I already broke the whole, hey, all the questions are from women this week, uh, except for the second one. Whoops. Yeah, I was going to say, that, uh, yeah. that de-escalated quickly. Yeah, that de-escalated quickly. <laughs> this one made me quite sad. I mean, this was just such a shame. This is terrible. Shame on this stepdad. He just sounds like such a, a, a jerk right now. I get it. In a way, there's an evolutionary thing going on here. He wants to devote resources to his offspring. The thing is, he's not an ape. He's just acting like one. You might be able to take steps to fix this, but I would say you don't have to. I mean, you did not cause this. And Jason, you've had some stepdads. Have you ever had stepdad issues like this at all? I've had four stepdads, to be precise. And uh, yes, this is one of those things where you, you just kind of go through it. You're, you're not, you know, you're not flesh and blood to these guys. And you're never going to be, and especially in this guy's situation where, you know, the guy comes in and has a real kid of, for him with his mom, it's it's difficult. It's a very difficult situation, but there are a few things you can do, but uh, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of stepdads, to be fair here. I know a lot of stepdads. My best friend growing up, he lived with his mom and his stepdad, and his stepdad was... He, shit, he was like my dad, too. I mean, we hung out all the time. You know, we all had five dads because we were all so close as a kid. Um, and his dad was great, his stepdad. And and his dad was around as well. So it was just a really, maybe it was lucky and unusual. But this is just, this situation is just absolutely unconscionable. I want to know what Whipping Boy's mom is doing when all this is going on. I mean, she should be letting him have it. Oh, you're not my real son. I mean, what the f- that generally isn't the case on some of these things. It just doesn't work out that way because the mom can be more concerned with herself and her future, especially when in uh, Whipping Boy's case where he's about to leave home and, you know, she's got to stay forever. So doesn't want to rock the boat, could be scared of the stepdad. There's a lot of things that go into it. But, you know, in my cases, I had the same thing, you know. Not really treated that great as a as a stepchild, and mom did, never really stepped in. So I can see it from her perspective. She's just trying to take care of number one, which in most people's cases is the kid, but sometimes it's the parent who's number one. So as the son, you need to take care of yourself, get yourself out, and you know just move on with your life. It's you're almost done. You're almost at the finish line. Don't feel the need to keep this relationship going 
any longer than you absolutely have to. Yeah, I, I hate that advice, but it also is totally legit. This comes from a place of actually being there several times, as it turns out. Yeah, there's just no super happy rainbow ending on this one. And the good news is you don't have to wait for college. You can get out, you can go to community college, you can start taking some classes to keep yourself busy before the college semesters enroll. Just make sure your credits transfer. There's nothing worse than taking freaking calculus all summer. And then you go to college and they're like, oh, yeah, we don't accept that. And you're just thinking, I'm not taking this ish again. I will shove this book where the sun don't shine. You can take these derivatives and put them in. Yeah. Anyway, keep yourself busy with those. (laughs) Keep yourself busy with those credits. Keep yourself busy with school. Minimize the time that you spend at home with your stepdad. Arrange to see your mom and your siblings at other times. You know, it just sucks. It sounds like a freaking prison visitation schedule. And it sounds like your stepdad and I'm going to go out on a limb here. Your stepdad might actually feel shame for not being able to provide better for your family. Because I know earlier he said that he was poor. Rather than accepting responsibility for that and trying to improve, sounds like he's pushing a little bit of the blame off on you. That makes him a bad role model, at least right now. Right now he's acting like a child. He's not acting like a man. I'm sorry you're dealing with this. And I feel bad for you. I do. And and just try to remember when he was a good role model, don't focus on what's happening now other than to get yourself out of the situation. He's going through something. This this something that he's going through has little slash nothing to do with you. You are not obligated to suffer through this. So congrats on going to college. Congrats on making a better life for yourself and starting down that path. The best way out of this situation is to not need a guy like this in your life. Once you're gone, things might even improve. If they don't, that stinks. But it's key to remember that the way he's acting towards you is not your fault, and it is also not going to be your problem for long. Your siblings and your stepbrother, your mother, they'll eventually realize he's being terrible if they don't realize this already. I have a feeling everybody knows it's probably an open secret in the house. This makes him look bad, not you. In fact, there's a chance he's jealous of what you've accomplished so far and what you're about to accomplish by going to college. There's all kinds of weird stuff going on in stepdad's brain right now. I guarantee you. You are too young to have this type of weight on you. Go to college. Craft a better life for yourself. You do you, brother. If it makes any bit of difference, I'm proud of you. I don't care what your stepdad says, and you shouldn't put too much stock in it right now either. That's just my two cents. Oh, man. It just I, it just pains me, Jason, to think there's a kid at home whose de- stepdad is like, you're not my real son. I mean, F you, man. Come on. Yeah, no, it does suck. It definitely does suck. Trust me. All right, next up. Hi, Jordan. I have a friend who I've known for the past six years. She started out as an acquaintance, but in the past few years, we've become closer. We share the same interests and enjoy doing activities together. The problem is, whenever we get together, all she talks about is herself. As soon as we meet up, she'll start to talk about her boyfriend, her job, or anything else on her mind, and won't ask how I'm doing at all. When I try to chime in with a story of my own or share how my week has been, she cuts me off and starts talking over me. I even tried escalating the volume of my voice, but she doesn't get the hint and still cuts me off. As you can imagine, this gets pretty frustrating. I value her friendship since we've known each other for a while, and I think she'd be there for me if I really needed her. For example, she took me out for dinner for my birthday and was supportive when I went through a breakup a few years ago. But lately, I've just been feeling like her sounding board. She's either really self-involved or she doesn't really care about me. I'm not sure which one it is. This has happened to me before with a couple other friends, and I ended up drifting apart from them for the same reason. Could it be something that I'm doing? Or are people just really that self-absorbed? Any advice aside from cutting off the friendship entirely? Or are these just people to steer away from? 
Would really appreciate your thoughts on this one. Thanks. My turn to talk. <laughs> My turn to talk. You know, this one, when I was reading it, I was just thinking, I'm pretty sure that I used to be that guy. I possibly sometimes <laughs> still am that guy. And I'm just thinking like, oh, man, I don't want to be this person. But that inspired me to also let you know that this doesn't necessarily mean that your friend doesn't care, especially if she's been caring in the past. Maybe she's going through something now. I don't know. The details are a little unclear on that. If so, maybe she just feels like she doesn't have anyone else to talk to. I think she's self-absorbed. That's clear. But maybe she doesn't realize it. And I'm not trying to make excuses or excuse this behavior. It is clearly really annoying. I mean, just reading it was a little annoying. But I would have a talk with her about this. Just don't do it when you are angry. And don't do it while she's doing it. Don't do it in the moment, in other words. Do it totally separately from other conversation. Because you don't want to do this thing where she's talking about something that's bugging her or talking about some problems she's having. And you say, you know what? You only talk about yourself. And you throw your cereal spoon at her forehead and storm off. That's oh, not yeah, going to help. That would work real well. Yeah, that's not going to help. If she realizes it after you've had this conversation and tries to stop doing it, that's progress that shows that she's not necessarily doing this on purpose. It's a bad habit. And I understand that. If she denies it's happening, or she's just like, oh, sorry, and then doesn't give a crap and keeps on going, then you can make a choice. I think a lot of otherwise great people are self-absorbed. It happens. It can often be a set of habits that's hard to break, talking about yourself, talking about your problems, venting. I built a lot of bad habits over time, hanging around certain people that I worked with or hung out with, and it takes a long time to break habits like complaining and venting and negativity and all that stuff. It's, maybe she's stuck in that loop. It's not a fun place to be. I'm an only child, so I'm used to talking about my stuff. It took me years to not just do that and only that 24-7 because that's what my parents didn't care. What's new in your life? Well, let me start talking and not stop, right? Maybe your friend's used to that as well, or maybe you're her only close friend, her only outlet. So after you speak with her about this and you make sure she gets it, then just go on with your friendship. Make sure she knows you're still okay listening to her and that you love talking to her so that she doesn't just bottle everything up because you don't want her to feel like you don't care about what's going on in her life. You just feel like she might not care about what's going on with you based on her actions. And this is important because you don't want her to stop sharing. You just want her to ask about you too. So best of luck with that. I think we all have friends like this and a lot of us put up with it for such a long time and then finally we snap and we never talk to them again and that's a little unfair because that person's like what the hell we were besties and you're like no you only talked about yourself and they just don't realize that they were kind of a shitty friend so i always like to give people a little bit of a heads up there yeah, and i wonder if this might be location specific i don't know if you noticed this jordan but i noticed people like this a lot in los angeles and some of these people were my best friends but you know they never asked me about me once when they'd come over, they would just talk about themselves. But when I was in a pinch, they'd be the first one. If I had the flu, they'd show up with chicken soup. If I had to go to like to the hospital or need an emergency, they'd be, they'd be the first one there. But, you know, when you hear them talk about themselves all the time, all you can think of is all you care about is you, you, you. But when the chips are down, they're the first people to show up. So I don't know if that's like, you know, it might be just where my turn to talk is located. But, you know, I don't know. Some of the, some of my best friends have just rambled on about themselves and I think maybe they are best friends to me when I need help because I'm there to listen. Huh. But did I ever tell you about my experience in Los Angeles? Strap yourself in. <laughs> I mean, yeah, people being self-absorbed in L.A., surprise. Surprise. Doesn't mean they're not good people. 
just means they no, don't act like good people a lot of the time, <laughs> um, according to my Michigan standard of what good people are, which is totally subjective anyway. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over seven billion dollars. All right, next up. Hey, everyone. I'm an education major and I'm about to start my student teaching in a few weeks. I've been listening to the show and I was hit with a question. Do I need to be networking as a teacher? I already expect the answer will be yes. But what is the benefit of networking for teachers? I can see the value of networking to get hired, but once I have a position, there isn't much room to move up without going into another path like administration. Assuming that I will always want to teach, why is networking important for teachers? Sincerely, part-time teacher, full-time student. 
So questions like this simultaneously trigger me to want to educate and also to punch a hole through my screen. It, not because part-time teacher, full-time student <laughs> is some kind of bad person or anything. It's not that. It's just whenever people go, well, I already know everything I want to do in the future, so I don't see what I can get from this process. Unless you're a San Fernando Valley psychic, I don't see anybody knowing exactly what they're going to do for the rest of their life. No, it's kind of a typical young person thing. Like, oh, I know I want to do X. And it's like, well, you totally do not know that at all. You have no idea. But you think you do. And I get that. I'm not trying to be insulting. I totally thought, well, actually, no, I never knew. I I knew I didn't know what the hell I was going to do ever. Even when I got a job as a lawyer, I was like, this ain't it. But everyone in a profession has this question for the most part. The idea that you might not need to network because, well, one, I'm a teacher, or two, you're in the military, or three, you're in some family business. That is all bunk. I sort of understand why one might think this. You don't see opportunities for relationships to do anything for you after you get hired. Also, frankly, you're looking for me to give you permission not to network because you don't want to put in the work. And I get that also. I understand it can be awkward. It can be tricky, troublesome. That's why we have the social capital program. This, however, is the wrong way to look at relationships. Networking is not about what you get out of the equation. This is where you've just made your first mistake. Stop thinking about how you can get something and start thinking about how you can help other people get what they want. That's a Zig Ziglar thing, among others. Now that you're not thinking about yourself, it's pretty clear it doesn't matter whether you're a teacher or an airline pilot or a dirt shoveler somewhere. Your profession is completely irrelevant to the importance and utility of creating relationships. Even if you did only look at what's in it for you, because my earlier point is somehow in one ear and out the other, let's assume that, you're still losing if you don't network. So take this scenario. You get hired, then you have an issue with your administrator. What do you do? Do you rely on the union to handle it? Do you know your union rep? Do they like you? Do they take your side? Do they trust you more than they trust the other administrator? Do you try to wade through the bureaucracy? What happens if that person doesn't know you and doesn't care about you? Are you going to take your chances with just take a number, please wait in line? What if you want to teach somewhere else? How are you going to get those jobs? How are you going to find out about those jobs? Is anyone looking out for you in those districts? Do you know anyone there who you can call and ask? What if you want to be the assistant coach of a team at another school inside your district? What if you want a plum teaching assignment? Who do you think gets those? Are they assigned fairly and impartially, or does the person in charge choose that position for their friends and colleagues that they enjoy working with? What happens if you're a new teacher and you need help? Who do you rely on? What if you want a different job? What happens then? I assume I don't have to beat this dead horse too much here. If the benefits of networking aren't really starting to become obvious by now, you are in trouble. So I think reality is going to come crashing down pretty hard. You're going to start to see opportunities for yourself everywhere, especially once you start teaching. But in any case, you need to right now stop looking at what you can get from other people and start looking at what you can do for other people. That's how you network. And that's why it's even if it's not important, do it anyway. Because if you don't shift gears on this now, I'm going to be on the lookout for your email in five years when you say, I'm stuck in another crap situation, I can't get promoted, and I can't kind of another job. Those, those are all taken by people with connections, and I'm stuck teaching you know, the gangster kids, and I hate it, and they're throwing pies at my face or whatever. I mean, we see these all the time. People who are painted into a corner in their career are often there because they don't have relationships or connections to help them do anything or get out. 
So thanks for writing in. Look, you're new to the show. I guess some of these core concepts have not sunk in yet. Maybe you haven't heard them yet. My hope is that they will do so in short order. Best of luck in the new job. Congratulations. And start uh, putting the stuff into practice, man. You're going to see huge benefits. All right, next up. Hey, guys. I'm 16, and my mom introduced me to your podcast because she felt that it would help me improve my work ethic. I, however, do think that I could use a third-party perspective on this. I don't know how long it's been since you guys were in high school, but I just want to know if I'm just overreacting. So, I'm in 11th grade, which is considered the most important year of my high school career and pivotal to college acceptance and scholarships, and it's going awful so far. I was once an all-A student, then an A-B student, and now an A-B-C student. I've been struggling to keep up with the workload that comes with the classes that I'm taking. Seven out of my eight classes are either advanced placement or dual credit, and it's been taking a toll on my mental health. I've begun to constantly berate myself and have frequent bouts of anxiety. It's gotten bad to the point that I don't want to do anything because I'm afraid that I'm going to fail or that I'll disappoint myself or my parents. I've tried talking to my mom about it by saying that I was stressed, anxious, and had a lot on my mind. She initially responded by making me run with her because she exercises to clear her mind. But that doesn't work for me, so we decided to try to find a therapist or someone to talk to. I attempted to talk to my dad, but quickly aborted that mission after he expressed that he doesn't quote-unquote believe in depression. Both of my parents have the tendency to dismiss many problems my sisters and I present them with with an it-could-be-worse or there are so many kids who have X and you only have to deal with Y or just wait till you're an adult. I don't know if they quite realize that over the 16 years I've existed, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to me. I'm just extremely worried that I'm not going to be accepted into any good universities and the rest of my life, as far as I know, is dependent on going to a good university. And even if I do manage to use the art of charm, see what I did there, to get accepted into a good university, what good will it be if I can't afford the 60000 a year tuition? I apologize if it got a little ranty like that at the end. It's really late. I know my issues seem like baby problems to you and probably the vast majority of your audience, but I would greatly appreciate it if you could give me any sort of advice on the situation. Thank you for your time, efforts, and advice. I hope you all have wonderful days. Struggling, sleep-depressed, sleep-deprived student. And P.S., my choice of career is neurosurgeon. All right, struggling, stressed, sleep-deprived students. Problems are problems no matter what. That's what I think. Adam Smith wrote, Of a man of humanity in Europe who would not sleep tonight if he was to lose his little finger tomorrow, but would snore with the most profound security if a hundred million of his Chinese brethren were suddenly swallowed up by an earthquake because he'd never seen them. So in other words, your problems are real, regardless of whether or not the quote-unquote real world is tougher or your parents had it tougher. I hate those justifications. It is just as big of a deal to lose something you really care about or go out of business or something like that as it is to not get asked out to prom. Those are of equal magnitude depending on what world you are in. I understand this. I remember panicking about college. It's a real issue. I also had advanced placement AP honors classes, and I worked on homework from the minute I got home from school to like 11 p.m. every day. Workload was ridiculous. It was totally useless in the real world, of course, but I digress. Also, I don't care if your dad doesn't believe in depression. Oh, it's so irritating when people say stuff like that. He should not be telling his teenage daughter that her problems are not real. I see what he's trying to do, but that line of thought is dangerous because he basically has his fingers in his ears and doesn't want to face reality. He's lucky you don't have a real problem or a real depression issue. 
I know you have real problems like with the college thing, but I just mean emotional or uh, mental issues because it sounds like he's not open to realizing that those exist. I wonder if he doesn't believe in depression, even though it kills tens of thousands of people your age that also have parents that maybe don't believe in it every single year. So, yeah, sure. Your problems could be worse. Who the hell cares if your dad broke his leg? Do you think he'd want to hear about how there's someone else out there who doesn't have legs? No, he'd be crying about this. And you could tell him you don't believe in broken bones. I hope that doesn't really happen. But uh, these are similar issues here. <laughs> Look, you, you make a great point. You're 16. Your problems are as real as anyone's, especially because this has to do with your future. It's not like you're whining about your Instagram profile or something like that. I mean, this is your future. This is a legit worry. The good news is that you seem quite smart. And if you've been applying yourself, you'll get in somewhere. Even if you only get into a local or community college at first, you can start there and transfer in elsewhere. Further, college ain't what it used to be. Don't use the word ain't in your college applications, by the way. College is not what it used to be. It's a way to plan for the future and get qualified, but it is absolutely not the only way to do so. Cross that bridge when you come to it. My but she's going to be a neurosurgeon, so I'm hoping that she goes to college. Yeah, do not try to learn that from YouTube, right? Um, if, <laughs> you're, if you're 16 and you want to be a neurosurgeon and you have a bunch of AP advanced placement classes and you're worried about college at 16, I think you're going to be just fine. Because most of your colleagues are going to go to co- colleges and just drink their face off, and that's what they're going to make of themselves. Those and when who, you finally get to college, go back and listen to our shows on imposter syndrome because it's going to hit you hard. Yeah. Because you are the type of you are the type of person that is definitely going to suffer from it. Yeah, that's a good point, Jason. Absolutely. So my suggestion is do what you think you need to do to get into school, but don't worry about it beyond that. There's no way you're not getting in someplace with the grades you've got in your advanced placement courses. There's no way that going to a certain school or not going to a certain school is going to determine your entire future, period. Not going to happen. I don't know where my friends went to college. Half my other friends never went to college. We all hang out. We're all equally successful. There's not a whole lot of variation between people who went and people who didn't, really, in, in my circle. There's just not. And, yeah, look, it's a big deal. But it's not something you need to stress about more. You can't control the situation by stressing about it more and worrying about it more. And even if everything goes wrong and you end up not getting in anywhere but some local school for some strange reason that I do not think will happen, by the way, you have all the time in the world to get back on the horse at your age. In the meantime, feel free to commiserate with your friends and other folks and leave your parents out of this one. They're not being helpful at all. They're just pushing your buttons. They seem like they just don't get it. You're going to drive yourself freaking crazy trying to get understanding or empathy from them. So just let them have this one. And best of luck, you will be fine. You sound 10 times smarter than any other 16-year-old I know anyway. And if I can tell that from an email, colleges can tell that from an application. All right, next up. Hi, guys. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to both Jordan and especially Jason. Woohoo! Yay. It is very evident that your voice coach training is paying off. If I ever go back and listen to past episodes, there's a clear distinction in both of your voices and syntax from past to present. Do you have any top takeaways that you could share from your coach? Thanks for your amazing content and delivery. Yours truly, an ear for talent. Ah, thank you very much. Well, the first thing is breathing. We got a lot of breathing exercises from our vocal coach. I don't want to outline breathing exercises here because it'll take an hour and it's not what people signed up for. Yeah, yeah. And they're not that, they're really not that exciting. They're really not. In fact, I hate doing them. So does Jason. They just work. They expand your capacity to speak long sentences. They help you not to blend words together. That's another top tip. Don't blend words together. Try, try not to blend words together. You know, it's I, now I have to try to blend words together. 
together, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's something that has helped us become more articulate. There's a cork exercise where I put a cork in my mouth. It's the only time during the day that I stop talking, and even then I don't stop talking. It makes sure that you're moving your mouth enough. So you take a cork, you bite down on it between your front teeth, and you read a couple paragraphs, and you use this automatopoeia where you just overly dramatize each word. So you'd have a cork in your mouth, and it would be like, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to both Jason and especially Jordan or whatever. And you would just do that for a couple of paragraphs and it's ridiculous, ridiculous overacting. But then you take the cork out, you're much more articulate. You can really get those letters in. You really have a lot more vocal variation. Right now, I should have done it before warming up here, but I didn't do it today. And you can tell. I feel like I can tell anyway. And don't overdo consonants like T's. So as not to sound pretentious, that was a trap that I fell into. I started saying things like soften or often and people just, <laughs> people just don't say that. So the key is no, to be, don't. the key is to be relatable, but articulate. So just say often. That's what people say. They don't say often. I soften my T's. It's just, <laughs> I'm not a Yale trained actor. Sorry. Uh, also bigger vocab does not mean you sound smarter. I notice this a lot when people start doing things like podcasts, they start doing, spoken word they start giving talks they start going oh i need to find a more complicated word for everything than it's in my vocabulary you just end up 50 losing cent words people. are death 50 yeah 50 cent you, words are death in audio you just end up losing people because they're like what the hell is this guy talking about now i don't even care another thing to be more relatable smile when you talk you can absolutely tell if someone's in a good mood or smiling when they talk on the phone if they're broadcasting smile when you talk it makes a huge difference Sometimes it comes across a little cheesy, like right now, because I'm doing a big old fake smile. But if you smile when you talk generally, it'll sound a lot more appealing. Also, don't... I don't know if anybody can tell. I'm always smiling when I talk. I mean, mm. it's, it's one of those things. I don't know how it came about. When, once we were done for like the first week or so with our voice training, I always smile when I talk. It's really it's one of those things that gets ingrained in you. And that's why I think I have such a good time doing the shows, because I'm always smiling. Well, I'm smiling right now, and I sound fake because I don't normally smile like this. But if you smile when you talk normally, if you have a little, yeah, if you have a little smirk or whatever like I do, a little cocky smirk, it, it comes through and it sounds good. Don't read anything. Also, speak it. Uh, earlier in some of the solo toolbox, a.k.a. crash courses, you can totally tell when I'm reading versus when I get a an idea of the gist of the next paragraph and then I just explain it. Man, those episodes are night and day. Also, stay hydrated. You can so tell the difference between a voice that is hydrated and a voice that's not. Right now, I'm a little bit dehydrated. Earlier, I didn't drink enough. I was on the road earlier. If you can stay hydrated, drink a couple liters of liquid per day, your presentations, your broadcasts, your phone conversations, if you're a phone salesperson or something like that, customer service, it's going to be so much better. You're not going to get nearly as tired. And speaking of that, rest your voice. I know a lot of people, especially young people, we just never rest our voice. We're talking, we're talking, we're doing the interview, we're doing the show, then we go and give a talk, then we do a bunch of phone calls, and then we want to relax, and our relaxing is we go to a party. And that's fine, but you just have to make damn sure that if your voice starts getting hoarse, sore, you're taking cough drops, you're staying hydrated, you're drinking tea, um, maybe sometimes you just tell people, hey, I'm going to rest my voice this evening, so you just don't talk much. doesn't mean you can't say a word, but you should really put yourself in a position where you can rest your voice. There are days where I go and I do three, four, five, six shows, and by show number six over two days, Jason's like, man, you just got you just got to not talk because we're not going to be able to do shows next week if you keep screwing this up. 
And um, it's extremely important. You got to be very careful. Your voice is a set of muscles. They're very delicate. It's just an accident waiting to happen if you don't rest it and stay hydrated. So those that's just a very few little bit of tips here. Breathing, don't blend your words together. Do the cork exercise. Don't try to sound pretentious by hardening those consonants. It's an easy trap to fall into. Don't try to have that giant vocabulary so that you sound smarter. Smile when you talk. Don't read things. Speak them or discuss them. Stay hydrated and rest your voice. Jason, am I forgetting anything that's mandatory here? I prefer to be standing when I do shows mm. because it opens up your entire body and you don't sound... Ugh. Yeah. So that's why I have a standing desk when I do these shows. Like when I'm editing, I have a separate station where I just sit down and, and job of the hut it <laughs> and you know let it let it all hang out but when i'm doing shows i am always standing because it i can tell the difference you can totally hear the difference in my voice between sitting and standing and that was one of the early tips you always got to stand and just opens everything up that's a good point when i sit and do the show i run out of breath and my throat hurts because i think i have to do more forcing out of breath but if i'm mm-hmm. standing it just seems to flow a lot better actually. Yeah, you don't have that big kink in your body and all the things pushing up against your diaphragm and all of that garbage. Everything is just hanging loosely. It's one straight line and stand up straight and just speak from the diaphragm, as they say, and you're off to the races. So that's it. All right. Next up, last but not least. Hi, Jordan and team. After graduating college in 2016, my four-year long relationship with a great guy came to a close. He came from a very nice upper middle class family, has a good job, and is overall pretty well-rounded. While it wasn't meant to be forever, I still appreciated the stability and grand goals he had for his life and future. Fast forward to now, and I'm back in the dating realm and having a great time. Of course, it's a bit discouraging at times, but overall, it's been a pleasant experience. I'm good at taking a step back and looking inward at myself to see if I come off as a well-rounded, intelligent, stable woman, and I believe that I've succeeded in most categories. I was recently just promoted after a year and now run the marketing department at a large company in the Twin Cities. I have a good relationship with my family, great friends, live in a house with the closest of them, work out regularly. I'm currently training for a half triathlon. Overall, have a good head on my shoulders, minus some mood swings here and there, and I'm an attractive girl, as conceited as that sounds. Now, in the dating world, I've consistently found myself measuring up to guys based on their achievements, what school they went to, stable job, not a total bum, etc., I think this is fair and normal, but here's where the problem begins. I recently started seeing a great guy. He's attractive, funny, down-to-earth, gets along with my friends, likes the same activities as me, is a gentleman, very kind. I could go on and on, but there are some things I just can't ignore and I don't exactly know how to deal with. From what I understand, he was a pretty big partier in high school, went to community college, and is currently a manager at a Super America gas station. Not the most impressive of jobs, but I know he works hard, And I just keep telling myself that he's only 24. He still has time to move to a better job, right? When I slide in questions about his plans, he doesn't exactly have a plan or specific goals that give me any indication of where he will be going in the future. This is obviously a red flag for me, but I feel selfish and kind of like a job snob for being concerned about this. I think it's why I haven't made anything quote-unquote official. My dad's a lawyer, so honestly I'm a bit concerned about what his reaction would be to dating someone in this line of work. My family is very welcoming but I can see myself getting embarrassed or not wanting to talk about the subject of what he does for a living around my family or friends. Honestly, I'm cringing as I write this because he's so sweet and only has good intentions, but I'm in a rut here. So after that novel I just wrote, I would love any advice and or tough love as to how to handle the situation. Do I keep seeing him and hope he gets his act together? 
Will this be a problem that will deteriorate the relationship slowly? Will I end up searching elsewhere for someone with a more impressive career outlook? Should I stop being a snob and appreciate all the other fantastic qualities about him? Thanks so much for your help, and thanks for a fantabulous show. Sincerely, Leah feels like an asshole. I love this. Her name here, Leah feels like an asshole. I totally understand. I totally understand feeling like an a-hole because of this. But I will say, and Jason, I don't know where you stand on this. I don't think this is snobby. You have standards. You expect them to be met. They're not unrealistic. And frankly, look, if guys are, quote-unquote, allowed to judge women on appearance, and we do, and that ain't changing anytime soon, then women are allowed to judge other people, guys, whatever, based on their potential to be a good husband or partner. Let's not try to pretend that these things don't happen and try to fight biology. It doesn't make any sense. Someone who works at a gas station might not be a good fit for you. It's not because that's a bad job or because he's a bad person or because he's not good enough or he's lazy. It's because his core values and his goals do not align with your core do not align with your core values and your goals. This is the key. You have to find somebody whose core values are similar. He might work at the gas station but be really into volunteering or maybe he wants to be a stay-at-home dad. Or maybe you're both hippies and you don't want to work corporate, but you just want something to pay the bills so you can live in a tent in the forest. That is fine. But what is not fine and is a recipe for disaster is if you are career-oriented and he is not, and there's no sort of way to compensate for that. Like maybe he's really into building things and he wants to build a house and take care of it and raise kids and you go out and earn the money. I mean, that's totally possible. Okay, I want to I want to jump in here for a second because when I was 24, I was a copy engineer, as they say, at Kinko's Copies. This is a long time ago for you kids out there. This was, you know, when, when people would come in and they needed paper copied onto other paper. You couldn't just do it at home with your printer. So I was 24 making copies overnight and I was in the back room working on learning how to build websites because that was a new thing from 24. I went from a copy guy that nobody would date to being 25 in the head programmer at Paramount motion pictures, because I had a passion that nobody knew about that I was working on. So definitely make sure that this guy isn't in the back, like, you know, figuring out the, you know, the solution for fusion. And this is just a stepping stone. So you've had every crappy job around Jason. Pretty much. I mean, my first job was McDonald's. I mean, I started at the bottom. Come on. This is just your job as as my producer is just the latest in a string of terrible career choices that you've absolutely. made. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Got it. Okay, good. It's well, only up from here, baby. That's right. I, now I don't feel so bad because your other options were things that can get you killed if you're working the night shift. This one, yep. probably not going to die on the job. Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> Hopefully not. Hopefully not. Yeah, we'll see. My goodness. Um. Where were we? So that recipe for disaster is if you're career-oriented and he's not, potentially, you you really have to work this type of thing out. As long as your core goals and values align, you can work that out. you got to find somebody who has a plan that is dialed in for their future, judging by the way that your mind works, and that just is not him. You want to find somebody who values the same things that you do. That in itself is not snobby. Expecting someone to have similar values to you, that is not snobby. People might make you feel like it is, or you might make yourself feel like it is, simply because you feel guilt associated with it, but that is absolutely not something you should feel shame about in any way. You can appreciate the good qualities about somebody without being in a relationship with them. You say he's sweet, he's great, that's great. Let him be that way. You guys might be great friends. 
But you breaking things off with him or looking for someone else, it's totally fair, in my opinion. Just be honest with him and with yourself. And you don't have to make him feel bad, but you should be honest with him, but especially with yourself. If you think this is going to be a problem later, then it absolutely will be. It doesn't matter if it's because you're a snob or not. That's irrelevant. In this case, I think you already know the answer to your question. I think you're looking for permission to move on. Well, here you go. Move on. You have my permission. All right. Recommendation of the week. No longer just documentaries. However, here's a documentary. This is called Chuck Norris versus Communism. And I know it sounds dumb, but this is... Jason, did you get to watch this or no? No, I haven't. So this is about the VHS... This sounds weird, but bear with me. The VHS, a.k.a. VCRs, black market in Romania in the 70s and 80s. And I know people are like, what the hell are you talking about, Jordan? No, listen. Western films were censored and forbidden because Romania was behind the Iron Curtain. So black marketeers were able to smuggle in VCRs, which were illegal, VHS tapes. This is crazy. In Romania in the 70s and 80s, a VCR cost more than an apartment. Or was it a car? It (laughs) It was like the most expensive thing you could own. It was just so, so expensive. So one of your friends might have one or one of your friends might have the one that you all pitched in a little bit of money to buy. And then somebody else would get the tapes on the black market. They would copy the VHS tapes in ma- on mass. Just somebody would be able to figure out how to copy them. Somebody who had two VCRs, some rich badass who had two VCRs would copy <laughs> them and sell them. And the economy that sprang up around them was incredible. And the documentary producers pretty much credit this phenomenon with introducing Western values to Romania and helping fuel their revolution against Ceausescu and the regime. But the subplot here is this woman, Irina Margarita Nistor. I know I'm butchering that name, but she had to do all the voiceover. And so since they didn't have movie studios in Romania where they're like, hey, we need to get uh, movies from Arnold Schwarzenegger and Rocky, you know, Rocky movies and stuff like that. They didn't have a place where these were dubbed in Romanian, so they had to voice them over. So there's this woman who just voiced over every character in every movie, and she's doing it, like, in a basement somewhere. She was, like, a librarian or an English (laughs) teacher or something. I so want to hear her version of Rambo. I mean, imagine. She's, like, this middle-aged or probably at the time quite young lady, and she's, like— Adrian, hey, Adrian, right, trying to voice over (laughs) Sly Stallone, and then she's doing, uh, God, what's his boxing coach's name? I always forget. Um, Save something for the sequel. That's all I remember from the Ice-T commercial. I mean, it's all, she's doing all the voices, and so everybody knew her voice, but nobody knew what she was doing, because it was illegal. So she's, she's like the most famous person in Romania, aside from the dictator, but nobody has a clue who she is. She's just a disembodied voice. And she goes through and she's in this all over the place. And she's telling stories about them getting raided by the secret police. And then she's like, I'm going to jail. Oh my God, I'm going to jail. And then the next day, the, the guy who arrested everyone is like, no, 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 you come back tomorrow. And then the, the secret police are running the black market, VHS market. And then they get taken over by the other secret police. And then those guys start running <laughs> it because it's just too damn profitable. And it's just, just like Narcos for home entertainment. Right. It's yeah. Narcos, but with VHS tapes that are poorly copied and distributed. It's just, it was a fascinating thing, man. If you like Iron Curtain type stuff or you're interested in a little bit of a a different type of documentary, I loved this one, Chuck Norris versus Communism. It's on Netflix. 
Hope you all enjoyed that. I want to thank everyone that wrote in this week. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. We'll keep you anonymous, or we can, you know, come up with a funny name, whatever. If it's feedback for the show, we are fans of your strong opinions loosely held. We love to argue like we're right, but also listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy. Hit us up over here. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm.com slash FMF. One five zero. Quick shout out to everyone who sent me nice holiday cards, gifts. Some of these things were a little late arriving. Well, I should say I'm late picking them up. It's not your fault. It's mine. I thank most all of you individually, but I don't want to leave anyone out because sometimes I get stuff. I can't read the card or it has no name on it or it fell out of the package. And Jenny just goes, oh, crap. I don't remember where that thing was. Somebody sent me a microphone keychain with a card. It ended up getting separated, and I don't know who sent that, but thank you, and Happy New Year to you as well. And by the way, Jordan, how awesome is it we just hit episode 150? Oh, yeah, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Fan Mail Friday 150. That's like three years of Fan Mail Friday. I remember it when it was just a little glint in your eye. Mm-hmm. What are we going to do with all these emails I just archive, or that I answer and never use? Because I, I still answer all this stuff. Not everything. Some of it is tagged <laughs> as dumb. Oh, man. if you didn't hear you, but if you didn't hear your letter, it's not because I tagged it as dumb. It's because there's a billion in there. But if somebody writes me and they're like, don't use this on any show, but write me a six page reply telling me exactly what I need to do. Jenny's like, yeah, delete. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's no value in this for the listener. No, no, thanks. Are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices? If so, hit me up. I'd love to shout you out. I'd love to hear from you either way. I'm on Twitter at the art of charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. I'm also on Instagram at Jordan Harbinger. Jason, you're on social. Yep, I'm on Instagram at JPD, and sorry for all the dog pics. I just got a new puppy, but uh, he's moving over to his own feed soon. And as always, you can always check out my other podcast, Grumpy Old Geeks, now available on Spotify, CastBox, as well as wherever podcasts are sold. Why do you have your dogs in separate feeds? I don't get that. Because do you have any idea how many people yell at me for posting pictures of my puppies? Why? Because people apparently hate dogs, and... I don't know. I mean, I'm like, okay, my Instagram feed's going to be really boring because I have two amazing dogs and we hang out and we go places and I take pictures and that's what's there. But they're like, no, I don't like your dogs. Yeah, I don't get it. It's like, uh, who the hell is looking at someone else's pictures of someone else's life and is like, you know what? I'm sick of your pets. It's like, yeah, <laughs> then get a life and stop scrolling through Instagram for God's sake. Yeah, you know, there's that little button up on the top right that says unfollow. I'm sorry if you're if you're following my life on Instagram. It kind of is my life, but, you know, I, she, my dogs are little celebrities in their own right, so I, I think they deserve their own feed. I, I, I'm fine with it. This is why I keep my Instagram relegated to dumb crap. Like, yeah. look, this girl's blouse buttons are about to explode. Giggity. Right? I mean, or whatever. <laughs> that was a know? great picture, by the way. It was great. <laughs> but, I mean, there's only... The, I just mostly post funny stuff in there. I just... Because otherwise, nobody's like, oh, Jordan, I want to see where you're sitting in, on, on a beach doing crap on your laptop. I mean, I just, I punch me in the face if I ever start posting stuff like that. All my Lambo photos are on my personal account. Yeah. And yeah. The yeah. dogs are on the other. No, no, no. I'm just very, I'm very open on social media. So I like post everything. So I'm going to have everything up there. I've always been open on social media. I will always be open on social media, much to your chagrin sometimes and many fights mm-hmm. we've had late at night, but that's the way, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So I just, on Instagram, it's really hard to piss people off, apparently, unless you post dog photos. Yeah, I mean, for God's sake. Anyway, that's where we are on the socials. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on live residential boot camps. AJ and Johnny run those in L.A. If you want to dig into some of the toolbox stuff and work on AOC skills with AJ and Johnny as your coaches, 
head on over to theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.